morning. I have the privilege of leading us as we read the scriptures this morning. Today uh, we are reading uh, Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, blessed hope that you have described in your word. And we just pray that this morning you would uh, open our eyes and our ears and give us soft hearts to receive uh, your word. And we pray that you would bless this time for your glory. Amen. The Alphas may be dismissed. You want to open your Bible or grab a pew Bible? We are finishing up Genesis 29 and then going through chapter 30. Before we start our look at God's Word, one of the many blessings that I have and we have is to be together as God's people, to worship together, to pray together. And we also have the great privilege and responsibility to pray for brothers and sisters globally, but also locally found out this week that a friend of mine, pastor in Montpelier, tragically died in his home. He pastored, his name is Rick Kesterson. He pastored for 12 years Resurrection Baptist Church in Montpelier. So I want us to pause and pray for Rick's family as well as Resurrection Baptist Church. Oh, Father, your words told us that we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Yet we do grieve. And so we ask you to encourage the Kesterson family, the believers who are a part of Resurrection Baptist Church, as well as the impact this has in not only the city of Montpelier, but, but other areas. Lord, you remind us that our life is like a vapor. And we don't know the day and the hour in which we will depart this earth. So I pray that we would make it our business to seek ye first your kingdom and your righteousness as you comfort those who are grieving and help us to be a church that not only focuses on those who sit in the pews and in our community, but the global church as well. Help us to be a people of love and prayer and compassion. So again, we pray for the Kesterson family, Resurrection Baptist Church, and pray for us to know how to be mindful of the needs around us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So, we have had the privilege, Aaron and I and others, to talk about some pretty tangled families. Well, here's another one. And I was talking to someone in the church this week, and they said, you know, there's a part of me that's kind of looking forward to being done with Genesis. And uh, I, I, I hear you. It's just, oh, here's another one, a story of an unfaithful family. And I was reminded of Romans 15.4, which Wes read for us, that whatever was written in former days, including the book of Genesis, was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. There's not a person in this room that doesn't need hope. The Bible tells us that we have a living hope through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So we want to see this hope even in the book of Genesis, specifically in the book of Genesis in chapter 29, 31 through 35, and all of chapter 30. So I, I will warn you that it, we are going to have some hard slogging through some pretty tangled mess, but at the end, I think we can see some clear hope that the Lord gives us in this passage. So hang on for another dysfunctional family story. And again... If you are a Christian, these stories are in part to give you hope. So let's strive to read this passage and see how God points us to the hope that's found in him. We're going to start with Genesis 29, 31 through 35. So remember what's already happened is uh, Jacob and Laban came up with this plan for uh, marriage. Laban, the great deceiver, uh, pulled fast one on his son-in-law and gave him the daughter to marriage that he didn't love. And how, how he missed that uh, on the wedding night, I'm not sure. Uh, so, so he got kind of the wife he didn't want, and then eventually gets the wife he does want. So there's al- this is already a recipe for significant disaster. Genesis 29, 31 through 35. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For he said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. She called his name Simeon. Again she conceived and bore a son. Now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing children. Leah is the wife that Jacob does not love. Jacob was tricked by her father Laban into marrying her. And now she is doing whatever she can. Her desire is to get her husband to love her. And having kids is the way in which she thinks her husband will show approval and love to her. We see that God shows mercy to Leah, allowing her to have these children. Leah conceives and it seems fairly quickly gives birth to Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. She thinks, now my husband will accept me and love me. Her desire is not necessarily bad, but it's a ruling desire. And that's called idolatry. Good desires, out of place, ruling us, is what the Bible calls idolatry. This is not just an Old Testament sin. And so throughout this passage, I'm going to just keep reminding you that it's good and right to check our motives. To really do some honest evaluation to consider what do you and I desire maybe more than the Lord Jesus. It seems like there's a little bit of a turn for though at the end of chapter 29 when when she says this time I will praise the Lord. So Judah is born and, and she says this time I will praise the Lord. And then she ceases bearing. Friends, our desires matter. 
And for many of us, it's not the overtly sinful desires. It's those subtle things that creep in and become controlling, consuming, ruling desires in our heart and mind. Nowhere in the Bible are you going to see that the Bible forbids us wanting our spouse to love us, of course. But we see the perpetual snowball and consequences of the great sin that this family has allowed to creep into their life time and time again. And then, of course, as you might expect, the other sister is furious. And so we see in chapter 30, starting in verse 1, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. And she said to Jacob, Give me children or I will die. Really? And then Jacob's ticked off. Jacob's anger was kindling against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of your womb? Then she said, here is my servant Billah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf that even I have children through her. Wife number three. So she gave him her servant, Billah, as a wife. And Jacob went into her. And Billah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called him Dan. Rachel's servant, Billah, conceived and gave, and again, and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestling, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife, wife number four. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, happy am I. For women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. What we see over and over in this passage is these sinful ruling desires that just turn into a perpetual problem. Sounds a little bit like Abraham and Sarah. Can't produce children on our own, even though God's promised us children. So we're going to send this servant your way, Abraham, to bear children. And apparently they didn't learn. I, I want to just pause for a second to say that I believe, some of you are going to get your feelings hurt, that all of us have dysfunctional families. Now, yours may be more or less dysfunctional than some others, but we all have dysfunctional families because we're all sinful people. Maybe God is calling you to break the cycle. Friends, we do not have to make the same stupid, sinful choices that our forefathers have made. And yet for this family, it seems like this perpetual continuing to make bad choices, ultimately not trusting in the sovereign, covenant-keeping God who had promised he would bless them and keep them. Leah has kids. 
Rachel's not able to have kids, and she's furious. Rachel desired children. Leah desired her husband. And Jacob was just basically a selfish deceiver. Rachel wants children at all costs. And so she suggests her servant, and then her sister does the same. They're getting in a bit of a competition on who can have more children for their husband. Jacob is a passive husband. Fellas, don't underestimate the importance of your role in the home. And don't be lazy. Don't be passive. God in his infinite wisdom has ordained us to shepherd our families well. And not give in to simple plans. Not relinquish our responsibilities. Certainly, Rachel and Leah are responsible for their sin. But what about Jacob? Every time you and I go our own way, forsaking God's ways, things will not go well. I don't think, I'm 48 years old and never more in my life have I seen a culture that thinks they can do whatever they want and there's no consequences. That's never gone well for any society. And yet somehow that's what's trickled in. But it was a problem here too. Jacob knew about what family was supposed to look like. He, he knew Genesis 2.24. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his one wife of the opposite gender and become one flesh. Jesus said the same thing. The apostle Paul said the same thing. This isn't new. And Jacob is guilty of polygamy. There's polygamy all over the scripture, but God never condones it, and it always ends up bad. Again, our desires matter. Remember in the, when we were having outdoor church in the parking lot, remember James 4? What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Leah and Rachel allowed these desires to get out of control. They started fighting, having a childbearing competition, bringing other women into the mix. Now, of course, it didn't start just with them. Their father, Laban, was guilty. Their husband, Jacob, allowed his passions to war within them. Some of the results were deceit, polygamy, poor leadership, etc. Friends, I know that most of us cannot relate to this story. This isn't our family story. But are you keeping an eye on your desires? And for most of us, it's not those overtly sinful desires. It's those subtle things that come in that become ruling desires. Good things. They become controlling ruling desires. Going on further, Genesis 30, 
14 through 22. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, It is a small matter that you have taken away my husband. Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, Then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night, and God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter, called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Jacob, I'm sorry, then God remembered Rachel. God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. She called his name Joseph, saying, may the Lord add to me another son. I have some good news for us who are trudging through Genesis. Joseph's pretty awesome. And we get a lot of chapters to study this pretty godly man. I'm not aware of anywhere in scripture that speaks anything negative about Joseph. Now, of course, he was a sinner, just like all of us, in need of redemption. But out of this family of mess comes some bright spots. Apparently, mandrakes were some sort of love potion. People believing somehow eating these love apples would produce children. So we see some leveraging, some jealousy among the sisters. Leah conceived a fifth son, Issachar, then a sixth son, Zebulun. Leah also conceived a daughter, Dinah. In a few weeks, we'll see some crazy stuff going on with her. We read, then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. She called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. Did God give Rachel a son son because of her good behavior? Because of her obedience? Because of her faith? Nope, because of his mercy. That's what he does. God has mercy on Rachel like he did Leah. Rachel conceives and gives birth to Joseph. Joseph will be really the main human figure of the rest of the book of Genesis. There's more dysfunction that we see. But Joseph comes as a bright spot in the rest of the Genesis He was born because God showed mercy, opening Rachel's womb, proving to be a beacon of hope and a type of Jesus Christ.
Genesis 30, 25 through 20, 43. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go. For you know the service that I've given. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock have fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You should not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. I, I don't know how much intentional humor there is in the Bible, but verse 33 is kind of funny. So my honesty will answer for me later. That, that's, that's not the synonym that we would use with Jacob and Laban's relationship. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and the black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, good, let it be as you've said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it and every lamb that was black, and put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, spotted, and Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flock towards the striped and all the black in the flocks of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them into Laban's flocks. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before them of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there, so the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Verse 43, Thus the man increased greatly and had larger flocks, female servants and male servants and camels. Again, God shows mercy and blesses this family who is deceitful, who is immoral. Why? Because God has mercy. More family problems. Uncle Laban is a deceiver. Jacob is a deceiver. And yet, God is rich in mercy and continues to bless Jacob. God didn't bless him because he was faithful or obedient. Of course, we should actively pursue obedience and faithfulness. The moral certainly is not be deceitful and God will bless you. But God does bless Jacob. And you and I, even though we're not always faithful. 
God has made a covenant, a promise, and he will continue to work through his people, even you and I who are messed up. That's good news. God is faithful. God is rich in mercy. God is a covenant-keeping God. This is true in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and in your life today. Nowhere is this more clear than when the scripture teaches us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Rich in mercy, making us alive in Christ. Friends, if you don't pause every day and think of that, you're missing out. God is rich in mercy. Just do an honest evaluation of your thoughts for the last 24 hours. For those of you that can remember the last 24 hours. Has God not been mercy, merciful upon you? Have we not had thoughts that were unloving and unkind? Absolutely. Did he smoke you as soon as you had those thoughts? No. You know what this family deserved? I don't know what you believe about spanking. I think it's a good thing. Um, God, the father, could have spanked these children and sent them to an eternal timeout. But that's not what he did. He showed them mercy. And so is it true for us today. So there's several areas of hope here, but three that I want to draw out. So remember, Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Number one, God's mercy. God kept showing mercy to a people who deserved severe punishment. They knew the word of God as they had access to it that day. He showed him mercy. Childbearing, blessing them with uh, uh, flocks, resources. He continued to show them mercy. Number two, we see God's Messiah hinted at in this passage. Judah is in the Messianic line. God's people have always needed a rescuer. God's people needed a Messiah. And one was coming in and through this dysfunctional family. Jesus the Messiah would come in and through this redemptive story. And friends, there is no greater hope than knowing that we have a promised deliverer. One has come. The Lord Jesus has come to seek and save that which was lost and to give us a living hope. God's Messiah would come through this tangled family. Number three is we see a type of Jesus Christ. So much of the information I'm going to share in the next couple of minutes came from a great resource I found on Ligonier's website. In the rest of the book of Genesis, the Joseph narrative is a picture of Jesus, a pointer, a type. Joseph was the shepherd's son beloved by his father. 
and yet rejected by his brothers. Jesus is the shepherd's son, beloved by his father and rejected by his brothers. The sign of the father's love was a coat of many colors. But Joseph brothers took the coat and dipped it in blood. This signified that Joseph had suffered an encounter with a wild beast. In the course of time, however, Joseph was made to rule at the right hand of the king, and he wore a linen robe with a golden collar. Every knee bowed before him, even his own family. The sign of Jesus' resurrection is the coat he wears dipped in blood, Revelation 19.13. Even though his father has exalted him to the right hand of a throne encircled by a rainbow of many colors, Revelation 4, 2 through 3, a wild beast tried to devour Jesus. Revelation 12, 4, but he was lifted up before his own family, represented by a woman clothed with the sun and moon and the 12 stars, Revelation 12, 1. After Jesus was exalted, he appears wearing a robe, a golden sash. Revelation 1, 7 and Philippians 2, 10 tells us, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. But for all the comparisons of Joseph to Jesus, the splendor of the Son of God far outsigns the Son of Jacob. Truly, Joseph was great, but the Lord Jesus is greater than all. Every Sunday, Aaron, myself, the worship team, call you to look to a hope in the covenant-keeping God of the scriptures and keep trusting him alone. He is enough. He is our one desire that will never disappoint. Trust and treasure him. Father, I know that I sometimes give lip service to these truths, and yet there's a disconnect in my life. I thank you that you are merciful to us. That when you set your love on us, that you will never pull it away. Although there's sowing and reaping, there's consequences. That you are God who said, I am with you. I love you. For those of us that have trusted in Christ alone, we have been placed in this no condemnation status. And Romans 8 tells us that nothing will separate us from the merciful love of the Father. God, help us to believe that. Not just in a church service, but in every single moment of our life. And when Satan tempts us to despair, I pray that our gaze will be quickly turned to Jesus the one who overcame sin and death, conquers rules and reigns, the one who will return, the one who is our advocate, our intercessor, our hope in life and death. God, help us to grow in our understanding of this. And for some of us, we know that our families need some work. So God, will you raise us up 
to make the changes we need to and for some of us break the cycle and help us to never be fooled to think that we can do that in our own power with our own strength but only the strength and power that comes in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ empowered by your spirit. And God, all of us know that we have desires at times that are misplaced. So I pray that you would keep turning our gaze to things above and help us to do the same for one another through prayer, through encouragement, through love, sport. God, make us the people you've called us to be that we not only would experience this great hope, but that we would be a beacon of hope in this area and wherever you take us globally. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Just stand and join us again in songs.